Hey, Fresh Capital listeners. You loved our Afterpay and Square emergency pod so much that Albert and I decided to follow up our Tuesday episode with a more in-depth breakdown of Square as a business. In the emergency pod, we just talked about the Afterpay deal and what it might mean for buy now, pay later. In this episode, we really break down exactly what Square does for small business merchants and how it's disrupting banks and other players with its cash app. If you're in Australia, you'll really want to hear this one. The Square Cash App is almost certainly coming down under soon as it aims to be your unified app for banking, investing, buying and transferring money. It's a game changer. If you haven't already, look at your phone now and click the follow button. It really helps us out. Listen and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan. Joining me from Sydney lockdown is my good friend Albert. Albert, how are you going? Dan, I'm good. This week, sport climbing debuted at the Olympics. So I think since Tuesday night, I've been up till midnight watching the climbing, which has been really exciting. But definitely feeling it after like working all day and then just watching the Olympics all night and then rinse repeat for a week. Yeah, I was watching that and it looks like the rope is literally pulling them up the wall. Like they are so quick. They're scaling a wall in like seconds. It's nuts. Yeah, it's it's unreal. It's so great to watch. How are you going? I'm going well. I've also been following some of the Olympics. I really like the badminton, really like the volleyball. Caught a little bit of the basketball, but it's... If you watch any of the NBA, it's like a very scrappy, um, different kind of sport in the Olympics. So that's been less fun to watch. But Indonesia picked up some gold medals in the badminton. That was really cool. Um, I was checking that out. It's been, a, it's been a fun couple of weeks, actually, of the sport on. Nice. I was um, looking at a chart the other day that showed how much an athlete gets paid if they win gold. I think Indonesia mm. pays their athletes the most for getting a gold medal. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's Didn't know that. something ridiculous, like 700,000 US dollars, like the equivalent of that. Where Australia, you wow. get like the equivalent of 11,000 US dollars. I don't know where they source their figures from. It's just a chart that came up on like a news article. Amazing. Well, in Australia, you get put on wheat bix boxes and all of that. So you'd hope you'd make it up in the long run. <laughs> uh, the, the breakfast sponsorship, that's what every athlete aspires for. Exactly. Exactly. So this week... We're following up on our emergency podcast, which did really well. Everyone sort of got onto it, had to watch, had to listen. Um, so we thought we'll strike while the iron is hot. We're going to talk about Square. So following up on the emergency pod, we're just going to go a little bit more in depth, specifically about Square. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the deal of Afterpay as well, but we're really going to focus on um, you know, summary of the business for Square, what's driving its revenue, trends in its industry, and its competitors will finish off with a verdict as well. Albert, you really love Square. I mean, actually, I'll, I'll give the overview because you've done the overview for the last couple of episodes. Uh, Square builds tools to empower businesses and individuals to participate in the economy. Sellers use Square to reach buyers online and in person, manage their business, access financing. Individuals, so people like you and me, Albert, and the listeners, 
people use the Cash App to spend, send, store, and invest money. And then they've also got a couple of investments um, in things like Tidal, which is a global music entertainment platform. They were invested in DoorDash for a period of time and just sort of sold out. Um, and they've got offices in the US, Canada, Japan, Australia, Ireland, Spain, Norway, and the UK. So they're all around the world, but mostly the revenue is generated in the US. Anything else to add to that summary, Albert? No, it's a really good overview, Dan, and um, I'm happy to pass the overview section <laughs> of the pod to you. I think I might just add, like, you know, um, Square, amazing business, has generated about $9.5 billion USD in 2020. It's growing about 54% compound annual growth rate since 2016, so really, really strong growth. I always use Salesforce as the benchmark for this during our podcast because Salesforce grows at about 20% year on year, so to be growing by 50%. Uh, over that period is, is incredible. The majority of their revenue, I guess, is transaction-based, but that has actually recently started to shift down. So uh, previously, Square, predominantly a transaction-based company, they take a clip, so a percentage of any transactions that go through this Square, usually about 3 to 2.5%, depending on the type of transaction for individuals that goes down to about 1.5%. They also have subscription services that makes up about 1.4 billion. So, you know, just over 10% of their business, hardware business, where they sell the, the Square payments gateway that you use in physical stores. And interestingly, you know, they've recently launched into Bitcoin, which we'll talk about. But in the past year, this has overtaken all their other parts of their business, growing from 5 million or 500 million, sorry, of revenue in 2019. To about four billion, so incredible growth in 2020. Uh, so Square, interesting business, predominantly transaction based. Now, kind of move into this holistic payments and uh, seller cash ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, when you try and position where Square is, it really is at the center of commerce, like where money flows between individuals and also um, merchants, vendors stores essentially so um, that can be at your coffee shop you're buying a coffee you go to swipe you go to tap your card to pay for it you might see a little square point of sale device terminal um, so restaurants and such might be using all sorts of software by square or hardware by square to facilitate their small business um, non-physical stores so if you're buying online i've sort of recently bought this jumper for uh, anyone watching the clips on uh, online. Dan's They've wearing a, a really, really nice Patagonia uh, <laughs> sweater. <laughs> um, if you're buying online, they've got a payments portal and APIs which facilitate, obviously, purchases online. Um, and then even if you just sort of go over to the more sort of banking side of things, they've got square debit cards, square loans, um, manage payments. There's a whole ecosystem there for investing too, which they've started up. So they really are at the, the center of all this. I want to sort of divvy it up, Albert, as we've got the merchant side of things, which are the restaurants, the retail stores, and then you've got the consumers, which is more of those banking products. Which of those do you want to start with first? Let's start with um, the seller ecosystem, Dan, the, the merchants part of the business. You know, more traditionally where Square started to play in before they moved into the consumer space. So they kind of bucket this into what they call the seller ecosystem, uh, you know, described as 
uh, ecosystem where they offer business customers, so the merchants who sell um, items or products, services through Square or in-store and then use the Square Payments Gateway um, to facilitate transactions. So a combination of software, hardware, and then some of these things you're talking about around banking, so financial services, to help merchants start, run, and grow their businesses. So what, you know, that's very like great mission statement, um, but what this kind of translates into is things like payments. Uh, it facilitates transactions and payments across, you know, the Square Gateway, hardware, risk management. So if you dispute a payment, um, Square also helps businesses manage that. Point of sale. Um, so again, it's like little uh, physical card reader that you can tap and go. There's a, a really great um, podcast that I listened to acquired in preparation for this. And in the US, they, they can't, or it's quite difficult to send people money prior to businesses like Square, Venmo, even Snapchat money now, um, offering digital transactions. So what the host did was his friend had to pay him back for a backpack. He, he had a little Square point of sale transaction a card reader and asked his friend just to tap on that to transfer money. Uh, they also do business tools like employee management, payroll, um, rostering, etc. And they've also got kind of a suite of industry-specific tools, predominantly in retail and hospitality. So that's software to help you manage either your retail business or your hospitality business. And then kind of sitting on top of that are financial services like financing, payroll, and business banking. So this might be where we touch on the, the deal with Afterpay and Square. So there's millions of merchants currently on Square. Afterpay had about 100,000 merchants. Um, the difference though, and this is one of the reasons why Square acquired Afterpay, the seller size, the size of these merchants for Afterpay were enterprise merchants whereas Square traditionally so far has been targeting mid-market merchants, which I think they define as, what, under $250,000 sort of annual transactions. Is that right, Albert? It's a pretty big market size, to be honest, when they, when they show their uh, market size in um, their investor presentations. But they define mid-market as between 250 k and $100 million in turnovers. Then <laughs> 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 they're obviously not playing in what they think is the, the tail, like, you know, the, the very small merchants, people who sell things at markets are one-off sellers. They're not playing in, like, those huge enterprise uh, retailers like Walmart, et cetera, because, you know, they've either got their own payments gateways or they're, they're facilitating them through their business bank. So mid-market, 250K to 100 million. <laughs> mm. and, and I can see intuitively why you'd want to be going after the higher end of the market. You know, if you think of what do you have to do as a business to acquire a customer, in this case, acquire a merchant, you go to, say, a small business and you try and pitch them. You say, we have this really great offering. If you use us, you can improve your sales by X percent. You can improve your transactions by Y percent. We're going to really help you grow your business. That's basically the exact same pitch you'd give to a bigger company like a Walmart or whatever. But the it's proportionally has a much different effect on your business because Walmart would be bringing in many multiples more of transactions, volume of transactions than a, a small business. So it makes sense to me that they've played in this smaller market for a while. They've really gained expertise. They understand their business. They've really um, made it seamless and a good experience for their customer. 
And now they're trying to move up the value chain to some of the larger merchants who just have more transactions. It makes a lot more sense. It'll be more profitable for them. Is that how you see they're approaching this, Albert? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you're absolutely spot on in terms of, you know, they start in, you know, much smaller players. Uh, the majority of their merchants now are still doing, I think, less than 125 uh, GPV, um, which is a metric they track. That's gross payments volume. That's the the total volume of transactions and the price of those transactions that are facilitated by Square. So you can see that they really do kind of play in the smaller merchant space, but have recently started to push upwards. I guess we'll, we'll probably start to talk about this a bit more, Dan, but interestingly, as they have pushed upwards, um, their payback period to acquire a big customer has remained steady. So usually, like you said, uh, if you're pitching to smaller merchants, you know, the cost of acquiring a customer tends to be much smaller. Maybe you don't even have to send a salesperson. You can just do some marketing or, or you, you get, get a free, website. Yeah, you get a website or even get free customer acquisition because, you know, there's word of mouth, you know, you're at the market or you see someone else doing it. Whereas if you're pitching to large enterprise, you've got a really long sales cycle. You've got to convince a lot of buyers. And then particularly for some of these companies like Walmarts, et cetera, um, they've got to upend their financial system to integrate Square uh, with processes, train people, et cetera. Like the sales cycle is very, very long. But what Square has started to show is as they push towards that, the length of payback is in the revenue it takes, uh, to the, the revenue equivalent of the cost of acquisition has remained steady, which means that they can easily scale into enterprise customers without having to worry about the impact on their margins. So. Um, really interesting push from Square. I think going back to what you said about you know this transaction with Afterpay, like Dan, I know we kind of talked about this on the emergency pod, but how do you think that kind of fits into their seller ecosystem? I think it fits really perfectly because I, I go back to this idea of pitching to a large enterprise, uh, whether that be you know a chain of um, of retail stores like Patagonia or something like that, you know, they're obviously going to be in a lot of malls. They're going to have an online presence, et cetera. As you say, Albert, there's, there's definitely going to be a long sales cycle to getting that customer on board. Um, that's going to be lots of meetings, um, you know, trials, workshops, showing the product, and then trying to convince them that it's better than what they've currently got. To me, Square didn't really have much of a differentiated product before the Afterpay acquisition. Because if you think about them, you know, it's a payment portal, like it's a hardware which all of these retail stores have had for decades. Like they've had a point of sale machine terminal, which can, tra- which can make FPOS transactions, et cetera. Not a, not a big reason to switch. Um, they're offering like data insights about spending habits, et cetera. But if your base of customers are in that sort of, and I think it's fair to say that restaurant cafe style space, then the insights you can draw upon to then move across into some of these bigger merchants, the retailers, less less relevant. Afterpay, though, really hits that niche where because they're buy now, pay later, they're naturally dealing with a higher transaction size. Like they're dealing with purchases, which are in like the 100 sort of plus range. So they're getting data, which is, I think, much more relevant to these bigger merchants. And they're also getting merchants which are just sort of already in the afterpay ecosystem which aren't part of square's ecosystem at the moment is, is it as i've delved more into it they've really shortcutted 
the intensive, slow process of trying to get some of these larger merchants on board just by acquiring Afterpay straight away. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, shout out to Adrian if he's listening here. He sent me a note on LinkedIn the other day, you know, talking about um, the difficulty in building a buy now, pay later business, particularly when you've kind of started from scratch. Um, the acquisition really just accelerates Square's go-to-market when it comes to offering buy now, pay later. I think the other thing I want to touch on is probably it's not fair to think about Square as just a payments gateway anymore. Like they really yeah. are a, a business ecosystem wrapped around transactions. So you can either facilitate transactions through Square, but where Square really want to play in is all the kind of adjacent services around transactions. And this is something we've started to see a lot in you know, fintechs and a lot of other startups is first you offer one thing and do it really well. And then you start to really bundle that with other services. And what Square's done is, like I said, bundle it with risk management. If you are facilitating payments, there's probably going to be a dispute. So let, let us help you handle the dispute. You know, if you're selling a lot of other transactions, you, you probably need to manage those people who are in your store. Well, let, let, let me show you how we can help you do that through our payroll and our employee management systems. So Square has really become that one place where businesses can manage holistically the operations of their business. Yeah, and I think we're, we're going to switch over to the consumer side soon, but just on that point, what some of the merchants are looking at, like some of the services they can plug into is like Square Appointments, which is, you know, if you're a restaurant and you want a booking system, yes, there's all these third-party apps which you can use on your website to like take bookings, orders, that sort of thing for you. But Square can basically package it in their already existing software and hardware, which they've given the merchant. You've got Square for retail, which is barcode scanning, inventory management, You've got Square for restaurants, which is like the kitchen display so that as orders are queued in by the waiter or waitress, the chefs have got, you know, a nice little display which shows like the flow of food which they need to be cooking up. Like they've got all these things which I am certain are not profit leaders for them. If anything, they're probably loss makers. But their services which drive people into the Square ecosystem makes them want to be part of um, the Square product, have them on board, and then, you know, they're sticky. Because, like, as soon as you train up all of your staff to use a certain system, you're not going to just go over to the next competitor because then you have to retrain all your staff again. So, to me, this package play is exactly what Square should be doing and is doing really, really well. We've talked a lot in Positive Light about um, Square's seller ecosystem. I think I might just throw out, I guess, a weird thought um, or maybe negativity, if I want to call it that. If, if you imagine a world where Square didn't exist and people were still doing, especially in America, like a point of sales through a written check uh, or, or using cash, and, and you started a business that facilitated payments and facilitated transactions, you went to each of those businesses and say, hey, I'll make this a tiny bit easier for you. You have to give me 3% of, your, <laughs> of the revenue or 3% of the total transaction sale. Like that is a hard sell to do. And I think it really speaks volumes about Square's business and what they offer small businesses or major businesses now in not only just facilitating transactions in a really easy way, but everything that comes along with that, digital receipts, feedback, payments, tracking, inventory management, et cetera. Like to do all that stuff and ask for 3% of a transaction is incredible. It is and it isn't. I mean, I actually think it's 
the more we've sort of gotten into running this business, which is fresh capital media, but like you, you tend to value your time a lot more. And I can understand, you know, small, like the, I see the classic thing uh, in some of these ads and our very first episode was talking about Zero, which is essentially a really easy accountancy platform for small to medium-sized businesses. Like the ad which they would have on would be, the picture or sorry the video of someone slaving over a pile of receipts and documents by hand like writing into a spreadsheet and then it's like flash forward the zero you're done in like three clicks and it's like it's all automated that's sort of that's what square saying is like they're giving the life back to the business owner so that they can concentrate on their business drive growth in the business like it's a three percent investment in the business as opposed to a three percent cost I think it's really easy for them to justify the value that they're bringing. And I think it's gotten to the point now where I expect that they're in like the startup handbook for any small business enterprise where it's like, what do I need to do to start up a restaurant? Oh, well, you know, you you get a payments gateway, you get a a merchant um, point of service, point of sale, and Square's one of the top three sort of providers for that, probably listed on some of these websites. So it's gotten to a point where I think it goes without saying that Square is a compelling value add to a business. Oh, it goes into every playbook in terms of like how to run a really great fintech business, how to run a a good hardware startup and wrap services around it, um, how to build a product that people love. Like I think Square should be the case study if anyone wants to see what, what a successful startup looks like. I think this is probably a good time to change gears and talk about, um, the consumer side, the cash app, Dan, I don't know if you know this, but the Cash App has a really weird kind of pop culture reference. Like there are heaps and heaps of rappers with a song called Cash App talking about the Cash App. If you go to the Cash App Twitter, um, <laughs> they've just got this like deep following on Twitter with like all these memes. It's like send us a photo of like this random slime dude who's like the meme of the week or whatever, and we'll deposit money into your Cash App. Like. Weirdly, Cash App has become like a symbol of pop culture, particularly amongst rappers. Interesting. Is It sounds like what you're saying, and this is a phenomenon which was very early on in tech, but have they become a verb in the same way it's like you Google something, you Skype or you Zoom your friends, you FaceTime? Like, has, has Cash App become a verb in, in America? Yeah, like just Cash App this to me. Like Cash App. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't know that. I mean, so just some numbers in June of this year, Cash App has 40 million monthly transacting active customers. So they've got a whole bunch of people using their app. And going on that bundling point that we were talking about, Albert, they've done research. So Square has done research um, about the effect of bundling uh, on their Cash App. And essentially it's for every two to three services which uh, a consumer uses on on square like it, it drives up the value of transactions that they're doing through through the, the platform which it, it makes sense like the more someone finds oh i can not only do um paying my friend on the cash app i can also invest my stocks in the cash app like suddenly they're providing a lot more revenue to Square, so they actually generate up to three to four times more gross profit per customer if they've using two or more products in the Cash App. So that's why you bundle 
because suddenly like your profits rise as a business because they're using more parts of your of your ecosystem as they call it yeah absolutely i think for the cash app in particular it really came in this kind of sweet spot where in the us transferring money between individuals and, and when trying to do things that we take for granted in australia through your banking app uh, was was just not present or very limited like it was quite difficult to transfer people um, money through the US because of different financial systems, routing, etc. Um, when I was living in the US, I'd pay my rent with check. So like I would literally go downstairs every month to pay reception at the building I was by writing a check and then and handing that over. Uh, you know, to, to transfer someone money would take a couple of days. You know, a number of different financial services companies like Square, Venmo, etc., um, started to offer instant payments through their app in exchange for a transaction fee. So for Square to transfer money from your kind of bank to your Square, your cash app, they'd charge a 1.7% transaction fee. Um, but then as a consumer, you could then use your cash app to pay for anything, to transfer money to other people. Like it really created a really convenient way for people to transfer and use their cash. Yeah, and, and one of the problems for Square was getting more users to put money into the Cash App. Like if you think of it like a, a bank account, Square doesn't want, oh, I'm getting $20 from Albert for paying me back for dinner and then I transfer that straight to my bank account. Like they want the money to stick in their ecosystem. And, and what they found is they've managed to get that by starting to build out the features. Again, it's the same playbook we're talking on the merchant side but on the consumer side. They're building out features which are enticing and attractive to a consumer. So they've got this new banking interface, which they released sort of like a new UAI uh, user interface uh, for a couple of months ago, where now, you know, you can bank transfer, you can direct de- direct deposit, you can make reoccurring deposits um, through the Cash App. So like if you want to start having your rent taken out every month through the Cash App, you can start doing that. And all that means is the cash app starts being like your bank. Like it starts being where all of your money is. Oh, now I'm using my cash app for my daily, for my weekly rent. Why not put in my investments as well there so I can look, or, look at it all in one spot? Like it just, it's really smart. I'm trying to find ways to, to find a fault in what Square is doing, Albert. But they're just increasing their customers they're increasing the transactions their customers make and they're increasing their profits as well like i can't really find a point where they're falling down no not at all so in uh jack dorsey's book uh which i, I read over christmas um the innovation stack he talks about trying to find uh, like a, your problem and the unique problem that you can you can solve um which then lends itself to becoming a billion dollar business so if i kind of illustrate the problem particularly in the u.s Like in the US, uh, there's millions of people who don't have a bank account. And for people who do have a bank account, the the fees are crazy. Like you will get charged a transaction fee. uh, You get charged ATM fees if you withdraw money from ATM. That's not affiliated from your bank. Um, You you get charged upkeeping fees just by having a bank account. So to to have a bank account costs you quite a lot of money. And now Square's come in with a cash app to enable people who, you know, don't have banks to deposit their salary, like you said, Dan, or for the people who do have banks, like move away from their banks because they're just charging extortionate fees. 
Yeah. I mean, the the thing that sort of hit it home to me is like they moved into debit cards uh, in 2020 and like uh, a survey of their sellers, of 2,200 sellers in 2020 found that like the square debit card was the first debit card for more than 50% of their sellers. So it's like some of these things we take for granted, it's like Square is being incredibly disruptive in America with some of the products. And we were talking about this before we started recording, Albert. Like the one fault, I'm trying to find a fault, is I think you could be critical and say Square does what a bank does, but with a really fresh coat of paint on the top of it. Like there's no denying, like if you go to their website, it just looks cleaner it's more intuitive as a younger person. Like I would prefer to, to handle my finances through Square than some of like the banks. But is there a point where it's just like, it's just a coat of fresh paint. Like the underlying services are just what banks do and they've done them for years. And the banks at some point will refresh themselves, give themselves a new makeover, a new coat of paint. And then does that competitive div- advantage sort of disappear like is their competitive advantage more substantive than their marketing their buzz their sort of youthful presence that would be my criticism i think to be honest no because when it comes to network effects square already has you know millions of customers they've got for the merchant side 36 million or so monthly active users i think or potentially that's the cash app sorry but once you get to that giant network effect it's so difficult to disrupt um your consumer base or be an incumbent to try and move back into the market or be a new startup and disrupt a company that already has that network effect. So I guess to illustrate this, Dan, if you and all your friends are using the Cash App yeah. and someone said, hey, you know, my Wells Fargo account lets me transfer money to other Wells Fargo accounts for free or lets me transfer, you know, money from my Wells Fargo account to your JP Morgan account or whatever, um, can I do that? Instead, they'll be like, no, I'm, I'm on Cash App. Like just, just send me the money quickly. Like ever, it's now become a daily habit for people to transfer money or use their cash app to do these things. And so now banks and, you know, incumbent banks are facing a really uphill battle to try to disrupt Square and cash app, even if they can apply new gloss of paint, because just applying new gloss of paint doesn't help you acquire customers and it doesn't fix, I guess, the bad taste that customers have, or you've left customers because of your antiquated systems. So let's turn things out from here and and look at the competitors, which, you know, we've touched on the banks. They're definitely one. You've got other payment sort of portal gateways like PayPal and Stripe. They would be another. Uh, Now that they've got Afterpay acquired, you could argue that the other buy now, pay later players like Aklana, Zip, they're going to be competitors too. What's... What's your view on the competitive landscape, Albert? Like, is there things standing in the way of Square? The things we should be worried about? So many things, Dan. So many things. I think it's, so, <laughs> it's so hard to, to boil Square's competitors down into, um, you know, other transaction facilitating companies like Stripe, if you're looking predominantly at transactions. Uh, if you're looking at, you know, buy now, pay later, things like Klarna. If you're looking at invoicing like Zero, because Square does so many different things now. Where like like you said, like they'd invested in DoorDash. Square for a while was offering deliveries for restaurants as as its way to help put people onto the platform. Um, so to to me, where where I see competitors moving, like it's more about who could be the future competitors rather than the current competitors. Because 
as you segment Square's business and all the different parts of its business, like part of its business competes with, you know, consumer banking or retail banking, part of its business competes with transactions, part of its business competes with, you know, business management tools, et cetera. Like to me, it's, it's Apple with, with Apple Pay. And as they kind of also move into the space of first offering something like a way for consumers to facilitate transactions where Apple starts to move into, you know, another obviously big one is Amazon. It's like, what is the future of Amazon? Is Amazon going to start leveraging its ecosystem to move into financial services? Um, you know, Google, et cetera, like there's Google Pay. Where does Google start to move into with that business? Like I'm looking at Square standing on the shoulders of each of these giants and saying, what are you going to do to come after me? Because I think that's where Square is going. The, the other kind of dark horse I'd throw in there is probably Shopify. And we've spoken about Shopify before, but Shopify do a very similar thing, but started from a base of e-commerce and enabling you to build an e-commerce business. But within Shopify's kind of initial services and offerings, they do things very similar to Square, such as they help you manage deliveries, they help you manage payments, they help you manage inventory. And so if Shopify starts to move more into um, the, the payment side of this, so not the front end of managing a e-commerce business but the back end around the financials then i see you know shopify and square really facing off in this market i actually really love this point because this visual of standing on the shoulders of giants actually i think places square like like it accurately describes where square is like they're so successful because the iphone exists like the iphone or just generally smartphones in general have brought users the ability to do their banking in their hand, have, has made users be able to like transfer money while they're waiting um, for their takeaway or whatever to actually come to them. Like their service is facilitated so much by the progressive digitization of our society, of our commerce, of the way we do things. And so if some of the leaders in these spaces by which we look at Apple and Google with their hardware, uh, with the phones, if you look at Shopify as being sort of like the giant in e-commerce where so many people start up their business with, if they then just go that extra step further into the payments, financial services space, it does cut out a lot of the runway for Square. So I find that really, really interesting. Um, the the counterpunch to that, Albert, would be there's literally billions and trillions of transactions in the world. Like it's a big enough marketplace for all these players to eat. Um, is that where you see it sort of happening? Like there's just going to be a segmentation in the market? Yeah, I think if you kind of look at it as in who wins the space, you know, each of these you know future competitors are probably going to start at a very uh, niche, a small niche. So like Apple, they're, they're offering discounts if you use Apple Pay to buy Apple products um, as a way to entice people or start to create stickiness or make like make using your Apple Card a daily habit. And I think, I think this is so important to think about, which is like banking, because of mobile phones, Dan, like you said, has become a daily habit. Like previously to that, how often would someone go online to their web and check out their bank account or use an ATM? Or I remember doing this with my first bank account, calling up to get my um to, to get my bank balance and being like have i been paid for my part-time job at toys r us i, I would call a and z and and check to see if my bank balance had changed as a result of that 
But now, because of iPhones and because of, you know, neobanks, checking your bank account is a daily habit. Like, my bank um, doesn't even have a, a web version. It's just mobile because, like, that, that's where people want to do banking now. And I think for a lot of these competitors, it's you need to start to incentivize people to make this a daily habit, to use your Amazon card if there is one, to use your Apple card, to use Google Pay, etc., in order to disrupt what Square has. And so until that happens, I think predominantly in Western countries, a Square is going to rise up. And this goes to a point I made in the emergency pod, which I was sort of reflecting on uh, a little bit, where I said that, you know, the acquisition is not about buy now, pay later. It's about this race to acquire customers of which buy now, pay later is just like, it's just a product. It's a means to an end. And the end is acquiring new customers. Uh, And I think that's the problem that you're hitting on here, Albert, is whether it's Apple trying to find who their niche market is with Apple Pay, whether it's Google, whether it's Shopify with e-commerce, the big question to me that these companies need to solve is how they're going to acquire their customers and then build a moat around them to prevent their competitors from getting access to those customers. And as you say, if they build up these daily habits, that's one way of building that moat around them so that their competitors don't get in. And this is where, to sort of cap things off, Jack Dorsey has very clearly outlined what the vision for Square is, so Jack Dorsey being the, the CEO and founder. you know, He says, this was a couple of days ago after doing a, an investor sort of presentation for the Afterpay deal. He says, we believe our most differentiated sort of value proposition is our combined ecosystem. That's the ecosystem of competitive, with, with sellers and consumers. And that's what we've been talking about for the last half hour, but is the merchant side of things and then the cash app, which is consumer facing, because they see a virtuous cycle where it's like, if we've got more consumers, then more merchants are going to want to play with us. And if we've got more merchants, more consumers are going to want to play with us. Like It's just that flywheel network effect that they're really buying into. And I think he's right when he said none of the other players have the same model, have this really like focused dual marketplace. Like if I, if we were discussing this before, if we look at PayPal, like they're, they, they don't have this marketplace, this interaction between the merchants and the sellers. We sort of view PayPal very much as like a merchant payment portal, which is great. I think it's lower cost. Uh, There's less things you have to do for that sort of business model. But if we're thinking about who's going to win customers, this idea of a combined ecosystem, buzzwords are plenty, uh, I think it's the way that Square thinks it's going to build its competitive moat around its customers. I think this is probably a good time to finish up with kind of wrapping words, Dan. Like, what what do you love about Square when you zoom out and look at this business holistically? When you said wrapping words, I I thought about sort of freestyling just for a moment, <laughs> getting in my flow uh, with a verdict. I'm sure Jack uh, and, and his title business would love that. Which I'm <laughs> I'm I'm waiting for the title Square Integration, but I'm not, I'm not sure if it's it's fully come yet or whether they're going to start moving to like enabling musicians to get paid in a particular way but we'll we'll see yeah i mean look my final verdict is extremely positive on square um i see them as being market leaders for the category of service they're providing so in that uh, smaller end 
of the merchant marketplace now trying to extend a little bit higher with the Afterpay acquisition. Um, they're really well entrenched. They've got a really strong brand. Like I remember the first time I started seeing the little square payment portals stop up at my local or prop, pop up at my local store. Like they were really like interesting. I was really curious. Like, oh, that looks really sleek. The design's so nice compared to a traditional payment portal mm. where you, you tap something. You'd think it's an Apple product with the way it looks, right? Like It did. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yeah, it did. And so that's really made me think about some of their competitors in a new light. Like I know in Australia, some of the investors might be familiar with Tyra Payments, which is much more on that hardware side of things. I find it really difficult to believe that a Tyra will exist in a future where Square is dominant. So, you know, f- for those reasons, like I- I'm really attracted to the proposition that the Square is putting in and they seem to be a really purpose-driven company as well. Like, <laughs> to be frank, their little investor presentation of Afterpay was a little bit of a circle jerk. They just sort of kept talking about how synergistic they were, how they were entrepreneur-led and how, you know, they were just going to really um, build things together. But it sounds like at least they, they are purpose-driven and they've got something which is going to give them a North Star to grow the business into a really productive um, part of the, the commerce of our society. So I'm attracted by them. Nice. I guess for, for me, it's two things. The first is Square's network effect, which is as they get more users onto the platform, more people want to join it because they want to use it. Or having more users means you can leverage more of the features. You can send money to people more uh, you quickly or there's, there's a wider reach of things. You can uh, reduce the number of other apps you have on your phone, etc. Um, for merchants in particular, as you onboard more merchants, you can bundle more services, which then attracts more merchants. You can collect data from those merchants to then build better products or understand how merchants interact with your product. So I think that's the first one. The second comes back to their purpose, Dan, which for Square, with all the services and features and products they, they have both for you know the cash app and the seller ecosystem, ultimately all those things help you become more successful as a business or richer as a consumer. Like if you, you know, need to get money from your friends, you need to get money quickly, like to do that through Square, through the cash app, you can do that instantly rather than waiting a couple of days through other bank accounts. Like Square as a business means, uh, Square as a business enables people and merchants to become wealthier in a, in a weird way, which when you think about it, because they take clever transactions, really reinforces their business because as their customers get wealthier, Square gets wealthier because they take a clip. And I think when it comes to subscription businesses, like I, th- I think they're great because you've got recurring revenue, but where the power comes from in a lot of our really great SaaS businesses is taking a clip because once you achieve network effects and once you truly are undisruptible, then you can start to increase the clip that you take which means you ultimately just can increase revenue. Not ad infinitum, but, you know, relatively quickly because more people are using your platform, less worry about competition. I sort of want to coin one of those phrases there. Let's patent that as a fresh capital exclusive. You know, traditionally you'd think of um, some businesses or superheroes or something as indestructible. But the equivalent in uh, the investing space is the undisruptible. Uh, I think that's a nice coin for us to phrase here. 
uh, or phrase for us to coin here. So that's it for us. Let's finish up there, Albert. Thank you for listening to the Fresh Capital Podcast, a podcast about investing and companies told in a refreshingly simple way. Rate, follow, review, all the usuals. You know, keep posted on our socials. Follow us there. Uh, we're really starting to build some of that out, so we want you to follow along for that journey. So you know, click on to one of the links in the show notes, uh, and then follow us wherever you listen, wherever you look at memes, wherever you you know do your stuff. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.